Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm Alex Burr, joined once again by my co-host Dylan Hughes. Dylan, I don't think I have a curveball this week. What a fucking great weekend of football games, huh? <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was exciting. I mean, so I'm trying to remember what the first game on that Sunday was. Was it, I guess it would have been was it Packers and oh, no, that was, was the night. The Packer um, Sunday would have been Rams Bucks. Oh yeah, Rams Bucks. Okay, so obviously I'm rooting against the Bucks because Tom Brady has ruined my entire life up to this point, and I would like to stop that. So plus I I respect the Rams and I, I I like teams like the Rams that really put it all out there. They're like we're gonna trade every first we have for good players. Like I like teams like that that are willing to take risks on good players. And they've done that. I mean, they've spent a lot of draft capital getting, you know, Stafford, Ramsey, Von Miller, guys like that. So I, I, I wanted to see them win. And it seemed like he was in the bag for a while. And then, of course, Tom Brady comes storming back. And I was so, like, depressed at this point because I knew that Tampa Bay was going to win. So I was sitting there on my laptop. And even after the big Cooper Cup catch, I wouldn't I didn't even high five my dad because I'm like, they're going to they're going to miss the kick. Like I was I was in full just acceptance mode that they're going to miss the kick. They're going to go to overtime and they're going to lose. And luckily that did not happen. So that was a huge relief. And the second game, I was definitely rooting for the Bills just because I. I like Josh Allen a lot. I like other players on that team. And, you know, they've gone through a lot of shit this year. Getting beat by Jacksonville and then getting blown out by the Colts like they did, I think a lot of teams or a lot of people counted them out. And for them to play that well in that game, and Josh Allen, just literally magical. I mean, on the – on, I don't think it was the final – I guess the final two drives – he was just insane, just pulling plays out of his ass like you've never seen before. And, of course, Mahomes still tops him. But it was it was just really fun, man. And, and like, that's, that's what makes watching the entire NFL season worth it for weekends like that. Left too much time for Mahomes. Left 13 seconds on the clock. Left too much time. What a, what a crazy... <laughs> Any team that allows you to get a field goal when you have 13 seconds on the clock is deserves to lose just straight up. Like the bills did not deserve to win that game, but it was a crazy weekend of football. Indeed. I mean, <laughs> every game progressively get got better than the last one and or the endings, at least all, I think all the games I think the margin of victory for all the games was a combined like 15 points or something like that. And all of them, pretty much all of them ended on walk-off plays, which had never happened before. So you have a lot of exciting variables when um, the Niners blocked that punt <laughs> and got the touchdown. I went crazy. <laughs> and it was just a wonderful weekend of football, Dylan. Um, 
wonderful weekend of football and a pretty good week of basketball too. I felt like this week was the first week where I felt like everything was completely back to normal. Like we've been talking about it a little bit and there's still a couple guys in health and safety protocols, but for the most part, Dylan, like it feels like the basketballs bounced back to where it was before December. December was the worst month for the NBA probably ever. It's <laughs> so like, it felt like nobody cared. And like, you know, when the lockdown happened, at least people still cared. People still wanted the season to finish. It felt like ba- December was the worst month ever. It's everyone is waiting for it to get finished. And now Dylan, it feels like we're way past that. And it feels like the NBA is in a really good spot. Yeah, it's definitely gotten better. And there's still been quite a bit of low scoring games, which I think is just, again, the natural consequence of the fouling changing. But what was, I watched a Thunder game last night. I forget who it was, but it was like 89 to 93. It's like games like that can be tough to get through. But, you know, I I still would rather have it that way than a bunch of foul shooting that kind of just artificially inflates the game. So I'm pretty happy with where it's at right now. Pretty happy with where it's at. We're in a really good spot for the league. Um, Our teams for this week are the Nets, the Thunder, and the Sixers will be going in that order. And, yeah, we don't really have any injuries to discuss since we discussed the Caruso injury beforehand. Um, Two weeks before the trade deadline, I think the Nets will be (laughs) a really fascinating discussion. They've been in the news a lot. So we'll just go ahead and start with them. The Nets are... 29 and 19, good for fourth in the East. That feels low, but the East, the top of the East is just a jumble right now. The Cavs are the third seed and the Heat are the first seed. The Heat being the first seed was more plausible at the beginning of the season, but the Cavs being the third seed, there was no way in hell either of us saw that coming. But the Nets last week, Katie, this is during the Katie list stretch. Um, The last week of Cavs or Nets basketball, they beat the Wizards 119 to 118 in Washington. They beat the Spurs 117 to 102 in San Antonio. They lost to the Timberwolves 136 to 125. They lost to the Lakers 106 96 at home. And then last night, Harden was out and they lost to the Nuggets 124 to 118. Dylan, we've known it all year. There's a Kyrie sized anchor on this team. And it just feels like this team can't overcome it. And. Harden's been voicing his frustration with the situation through private sources. There was a Jake Fisher article where he said he wasn't happy with the Kyrie situation and how Kyrie was a part-time player. And I think you kind of saw that in the Lakers game where the Lakers, I mean, Harden had to do it all himself and he couldn't, he just couldn't. And Dylan, I think (laughs) I just got to say Kyrie looked great. And I really just wish this situation would dissolve itself one way or another so I could see Kyrie play more basketball. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And, hey, this is why every week, like, listen, politics aside, coronavirus aside, I don't care. Eric Adams, let's lift the mandate, man. At least make an exception for Kyrie, okay? Because, like, that Timberwolves game, which they lost because Harden wasn't great and – I'll get into other reasons why I'm not a huge fan of this team right now, but Kyrie was great. And listen, this guy, we talked about him last year. Last season was his best season ever. And I don't even think it's debatable. Like you can look at the numbers and say, maybe there was other seasons, but 
just eye test wise and that some of the numbers too it's like he was unbelievable at everything it was his best passing season by far it was probably his best defensive season by far and all of a sudden now he's a part-time player and I mean you can see the difference like that Lakers game was really tough to watch obviously when Kevin Durant's out you're gonna have problems if this team just had Kyrie and Harden plus, you know, Patty Mills and everyone else, it would be fine. Like they would be fine in the regular season. It would be great. But now you have Harden who is kind of having to go back into to the Rockets mode, but he's not as good as he was back then. You know, he's a little bit older. He's the injuries are starting to pile up a little bit more. Maybe he's not in the best shape, you know, who knows, that could be the reason why the injuries are piling up, but he's having to do that. And I will say it is really good. They have Patty Mills. Cause at times he's kind of like an escape patch almost for Harden. If, if Harden can't get something done, then he just gives it to Patty and he figures it out, but there's no one else on this team that can do that. Like the shot. If you look at the shot distribution from that game, it's pretty kind of, evenly spread between like everyone else on the floor, which kind of signals the lack of depth they have because after Patty Mills, you just got a bunch of guys, you know, like they've been going to like Kessler Edwards a lot and Cam Thomas. And those are, those are nice. Those are nice guys to like have off your bench. You know, they're some good young players, but if you're relying on them to like make big shots, cause you have no other option you're in a tough spot. And they completely fucked up their big man rotation. Honestly, I think it would have been, like, LaMarcus is playing great this year. So don't, like, I'm not hating on LaMarcus here. I think it kind of ruined the energy they had. Like, last year they had something good going in their big man room. You know, Blake was playing great. Now, Blake could have just fallen off. Blake's been hurt a lot. And we kind of saw the bottom falling out a little in Detroit but he came and looked great in Brooklyn. So we're like, okay, everything's all is going to be fine next year. Turns out it's not fine. Blake's <laughs> only played 37 games, only 18 minutes a game. He's like really in and out of the rotation. And remember a couple of weeks ago when I was saying, like I was trying to look glass half full through the really crazy COVID situation. I'm like, this is going to get some guys regular minutes. Kessler Edwards is a starter now, and I'm guessing he's not going to stop starting even after KD comes back because of how he played in that stretch where everyone was in health and safety protocols. And I'm guessing when Joe Harris comes back, Joe Harris isn't going to knock him out of the starting lineup. Like, Kessler Edwards has been a great piece, but you're right. It's bad that they're relying on a rookie this much. (laughs) And this is the problems you have when when your third best player probably second best player, but he hasn't played all year. So I'm not going to make that proclamation yet. Their third best player is a part-time player and your best player is hurt. and is going to be out till after the all-star break, which is another month away. The all-star game is really late this year. I don't know if you knew that Dylan. It's on February 20th. That feels really late for the all-star game. And so he's going to be out another month. <laughs> I'm going to check their record with him because I'm sure the record without him has been less than ex- exemplary this year. So this year, the Nets are, shout out to the game log, 24 and 12 with Katie in the starting lineup. That means they're five and seven without him, which is fine. But 
I don't think they I don't think they can get the first seed if Katie's out because they he's that important. That's why he was probably going to win MVP if he stayed healthy all year. He's not going to win MVP now because he's missed. You know, he's going to end up missing like more than thirty games. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, the MVP discussion is becoming really interesting. Like this, this is probably the most open it's ever been. I would say, and I mean, if you look. Like, I would say DeMar and Embiid are really, really solid candidates that, like, in other years we probably wouldn't get. And obviously we'll talk more about Embiid later. But it, it's interesting. That's a whole other discussion. But this, this, this is, like, a good year to bet on MVP for some long shots because I think you may end up getting a good payout on that. But, yeah, it's – it's tough. I mean, I, I think the KD injury, and I texted you this when we first found out that he was going to miss some time. I think it's actually going to end up being okay for them because he's just going to get rest. You know, like we've seen this a lot where players miss some time in the regular season, and all of a sudden you get to, to March and April and May, and they've got maybe a little bit more juice. So I'm not too worried about that, but – I mean, they've kind of got a tough month coming up, you know? Like, just this weekend, they play Golden State, Phoenix, basically back-to-back, Utah, Denver, Miami, like, Milwaukee. There's a lot of tough games that KD's probably going to miss. And they're going to have to have a really strong run to close the season to have a, a shot at moving up the standings. I mean, they're only two games back from the first seed, you know? So if they can kind of tread water a little bit and maybe just win three out of five, three out of six, you know, something like that pretty much consistently over time, then I think they'll be okay. And I, there's a part of me that thinks something's going to happen with the Cavs. It's probably dumb to think that because they have such a high floor with, with Allen and Mobley out there and obviously Garland, but I don't know. I'm not definitely not going to count them out from moving up or moving down because it's so tight right now. I mean, the top six seeds are separated by two and a half games, <laughs> which is crazy. Like we usually see that with the top three or four, but the top six is crazy. So it's going to be interesting, man. Like this is one of the more fascinating storylines, I think, heading into the rest of the season, particularly because the Nets could lose hard in this offseason. So I was thinking about that earlier because I saw that they're not going to entertain trade uh, offers for him. And it's like, man, if, if Harden just kind of up and leaves in the off season or whatever, then all of a sudden things get interesting. And you would think the Nets might need to have a really strong run this season, whether that means winning the finals or not to, to keep him around. I think this like little reporting battle going on is fascinating because you can tell kind of who's feeding who what, <laughs> right? Like, shout out to Jake Fisher. You're a great reporter. There is no doubt in my mind that Maury had something to do with that story about, <laughs> about Harden wanting to go to Philadelphia. Like, it fits Maury's agenda, right? And then you look at who could have possibly told Woj that the Nets aren't going to entertain any Harden offers. 
it's quite obviously Sean Marks or someone very involved in the Nets organization. And Sean Marks is Bobby Marks's brother, who is one of Woj's. Woj worked with him at Yahoo and brought him over. Is he's the reason? Woj is the reason Bobby Marks is working at ESPN. So <laughs> you put two and two together there, huh? Maybe you figure out where Woj got his information from. I. I understand Harden not wanting to live in Brooklyn. <laughs> New York taxes are crazy. Um, that's one of the things that he object, like the Fisher piece had, where he objected to the high state income tax in New York. <laughs> and I'm sure it's not a very cheap place to live. And I'm sure he doesn't want to live in New Jersey either. Um, if I were him... I'm not going. So the cities with state income tax in the league are the three Texas teams, the two Florida teams and Memphis. I don't think Memphis makes sense for him. I don't think Orlando makes sense for him. There's no way humanly possible for them to trade for James Harden in Miami. (laughs) Why would he go back to the Rockets if he just left? And why would the Mavericks bring him in? And why would he want to go to play for pop? So I don't know how much truth there is to those rumors. I feel like there's a really solid chance he ends up in Brooklyn because what are his alternatives? And plus, it's not like he's playing like Houston James Harden, like you said. This is a very worse version of Harden who's not scoring as well as he used to. Like, the efficiencies are all down. And it's been a consistent... Like, we had the Nets, like, what, 20 games in the season the first time? That sounds about right. And... Or not 20, maybe like 15. We're like, okay, this is concerning, but whatever. His efficiencies haven't gone up since the last time we had them. And that's where we should be concerned. Like, his free throw attempts have gone up. Like, last time we had them, his free throw attempts were at five a game. Now they're up at eight, which is about where they should be. But he's shooting 42% from two and 34% from three. (laughs) Like, that's not the James Harden we know. He's playing more of a point guard role. And I'm not going to pay, like, a point guard who's shooting 42% from the field $60 million a year which is what he'd make on the last year of his contract. I'm not doing that. So, and he's 32. He's been incredibly durable up to this point. Who knows how long he's hasn't been durable since he's been in Brooklyn. So I I don't know, Dylan, I'm not saying, I don't think James Harden's as big of a deal in the free agent market to anyone, but Daryl Morey (laughs) as James probably thinks he is. Okay. So I'm going to first say this about the income tax thing. I think that is a little bit of an like overblown part of free agency talk, especially when it comes to the state with no income tax. So let me explain to you why he doesn't like New York state tax. Okay. So I looked it up. State tax, income tax, New York is about 11% for top earners, which I'm guessing means like over 400,000 or something like that. New York City, on top of that, is another 3.9%. So he's paying, what, basically 14 15% of his income on top of, like, the 39% federal tax. So, and that's why a lot of players don't like California, too, because I think California is actually even worse than that. Like, I don't think it's state income tax in general. I think it's just the high income tax. Like Indiana, for example, and I don't know this for sure, but I think Indiana income tax is like a flat rate of like 4% or 3%. And there's a lot of other states like that. So 
I wouldn't restrict his options to just the the no income tax states, but I mean, who who knows? Like, I feel like I feel like a lot of that is just talking points, and maybe players giving themselves like a reason to want to get out of a place, whether they care or not. I mean, James Harden is probably bringing in fifty, sixty million dollars a year with endorsements and all that too. So I don't know if he's too worried about income tax, but maybe, but I don't know. Like I'm, I don't really care enough anymore to sit around and like try to figure this kind of stuff out because these guys lie, you know, like they're the, the, the players lie, the agents lie, the GMs lie. Like there's no reason to really sit around and try to figure things out anymore. Cause everyone's lying to try to deceive us basically. So, you know, it is what it is, but in terms of him actually on the court, yeah, like it's definitely slipped. And I don't remember if it was the same last year, but this year, at least lately, it's been a hamstring. And man, I like, if you really think about sports, the hamstring is like the worst injury to have. Because once you injure it once, it seems like it never goes away. And the prime example of that is Julio Jones. Julio Jones has had hamstring injuries for like eight years straight. This man never has a healthy season, and it's because of his hamstring pretty much alone. So, and when you get older, I actually think Julio and James Harden are about the same age. When you start getting this age, the hamstring's pretty damn tight. You probably got to spend a lot of time stretching it and you could still tweak it and that'll shelve you for two, three, four weeks, you know? So it's a huge liability. Like if he keeps having these small injuries pop up or sustained injuries, like a hamstring kind of stick around, it's going to severely impact his, his ability to be who we have seen him be. And it's, it's sad because I remember I talked about this, I think on the pod at some point that last year in the first round, and I don't even remember who they played at this point, but I remember he was so damn efficient. Like this dude had a bunch of games where he was dropping like 40 points on less than 20 shots and stuff like that. And as an efficiency nerd, I was loving that. I mean, I was tweeting about it like every night. It was so fun watching him just just pour it in on such a small amount of shots. And then basically after that series was over, he's been injured and it just hasn't been the same. So it's a huge, not necessarily bargaining chip, but like it's a huge kind of X factor, I guess, for this Nets team and potentially the Sixers or some other team of what happens with Harden because, I mean – He's definitely a needle mover. Like, I think that's the very least you can say. Whether he is good enough to get you to the finals, we've seen that's probably not true. But on this Nets team with two other stars or in Philly with Embiid or somewhere else, I think he could still pull it off. But there's definitely a lot of other things in the air at this point that seem to suggest it's not as likely as it used to be. Well, and even like... You bring up the multiple stars thing. I think he's trying to be more deferential. I think he's trying to ease back into more of like a point guard role. He's averaging 10 assists a game this year. 
And he's, you know, by far the best passer on the team. He's the only person who can make something out of nothing. I don't think he enjoys at this point having to carry the load for the team, but he has to because there's no one else that's going to. And well, Kyrie will. And it helps, I think, that I think seven of their next 10 games are on the road. (laughs) So he'll have Kyrie like that stretch you were talking about. They'll have Kyrie for all of that. So they're going to be okay in some aspects. But right now, just checking out the standings, they're a much better road team than they are home team. And that was before, like, that's for the whole season. It's not just with Kyrie. They've been a lot better on the road for some reason than at home. And they might finish with, like, a losing record at home (laughs) when this is all said and done because they just don't have the firepower at home. Like, Patty Mills, God love him, right? God love LaMarcus Aldridge. When the two... (laughs) When two of the four best players from last year's lottery Spurs team (laughs) are your second and third best scoring options... You got a problem. I, I love them both, right? LaMarcus is forever one of my favorite players. He's playing great this year. I don't want to act like he's not. And Patty's playing great this year. Patty's playing out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> like, but that's a problem. Like, Patty should be your fourth best player. Patty should be your fifth best player, not your your third, your second best player, your third best player. And on most nights, on home games, Patty Mills is currently their second best player. And I don't think they can win a lot of games that way. We saw that in the Lakers game. I don't think they can win a lot of games with Patty Mills as your second best player. Yeah. And Harden being more deferential is definitely something I noticed too, because there was a small stretch where I'm like, Oh, here's Harden. You know, he's going to try to do it all himself. But I think part of that is also that he doesn't have Clint Capella, you know, or someone like that. I mean, he's got Nick Claxton who's fine. uh, But Nick Claxton is not playing a bunch of minutes. And as you mentioned, Aldridge is playing a lot more. And Aldridge is not uh, Clint Capella. I think that's fair to say. So Harden definitely has to change his style a bit. And he was deferring a lot more to Mills. Like, that was something I noticed as the game went on. And, you know, you could argue that's why they lost. Because he started giving the ball to other guys that just aren't as good as him. So, that's definitely the concern. And with Kyrie out there, basically all that goes away. You know, if, if Patty Mills is all of a sudden your third best player, you're in a really good spot. And Kessler Edwards and, you know, Cam Thomas and all these other guys, Dayron Sharp, like those guys are all of a sudden kind of in the role they're supposed to be. They're they're just contributing. They're not expected to make a bunch of shots. And what they give you is great. And when you're on the road with Kyrie, you get that. But when you're at home and it's just Harden and Mills and all the other guys, then it's not not as uh, not as easy to score. And I have to say, like it's worth repeating, Kyrie looks a lot better than Harden does this year. Like that's just, and it's only been seven games. I have to give Kyrie credit for this. He stayed in tremendous shape while he was not able to get on the practice court, you know, he was scrimmaging with high schoolers in New Jersey (laughs) and he stayed in great shape and he's killing it right now in road games. He's averaging 23 points a game, 50% from the field, 36% from three. Like, and he can just create something out of nothing. And that's what this team needs. They need that guy that can create something out of nothing. That's not KD. 
right? Because we saw that last year in the Buck series. It was great because Katie could create something out of nothing, but they had nobody else that could do that. And Harden's not really create something out of nothing guy. He's a, okay, I'm going to create, but I need to dribble through my legs eight times. I need to get a pick. I need to survey the defense some more. I need to make a jump stop. And maybe somebody will run into me and I'll fling the ball in the air. He doesn't really take advantage. Like that's been the biggest criticism of Harden through like the last decade is that he doesn't take the mid range shots that's available to him. And I, (laughs) I feel like everybody should take a drink every time I say, take the mid range that's available to him. But it's just the fact of the matter in the NBA now, like the mid range is back in a major way for star players. It never really left, but nowadays I think it's even more important because everyone's seeing that shot. So having Kyrie, if the mandates magically lifted, that would be great. I don't see that happening unless like just practically speaking, unless there's a massive drop in cases and hospitalizations by the time April rolls around. And even then that's seems pushing it a little bit. Like I know it'll be like winter time will be over by then. Still, I just don't see the mandate being lifted. (laughs) So it's going to be tough because I mean, Dylan, here's an honest to goodness question for you. If you know, the mandate's not going to be lifted. Would you, if you're the Nets, just want to be the five seed? Like, I know we've been like, people have been making jokes about it, but it's like actual serious question. You would play game seven on the road with Kyrie. (laughs) You would have your big three in the most important game of the series. Now, the other team could put you away, you know, in the home games and then have game seven be a coin flip. But Dylan, I think it might not be the worst strategy to try to gun for that five seed. (laughs) A sentence I never thought I'd say. Yeah, I never even considered that as a possibility, but that is really interesting. And, hey, I think right now they're doing a pretty good job of trying to secure that five seed. So, yeah, I never thought about that, but that's that's a great idea because, I mean, it, it's kind of funny how, you know, in the playoffs we usually see, obviously, the home teams win more games, and that's why you want to be a higher seed. But when you take one of the best players in the world off your team when you're at home, all of a sudden, uh, maybe the road gets a little bit more appealing. So that it's, you know, I have a feeling that they won't intentionally try that because, you know, we just saw with the Raiders and Chargers, they could have tied and made it. But it seems like sports teams are so competitive, they don't want to ever give up opportunities to win even if it's bad strategy to try to win uh but who knows maybe maybe uh all of a sudden Harden will have to miss two weeks here and there and oh katie we're gonna delay his return by a few weeks here if we start seeing something like that then maybe they will uh try to get that five seed but it's good strategy and i would love to see it happen but who knows if it actually will It'll be interesting to see which direction they go in. I, <laughs> it would be unprecedented, and you know people do believe in karma. Um, looking at their schedule, they have 16 more home games and 18 more road games. So, I I don't. <laughs> this is just stupid. Like, why are we having these conversations? <laughs> but we have to have them. This is 
God, what a world we live in. Um, well, before we move on from the Nets, Dylan, I you brought up the rookies earlier. I love what I've been seeing from the rookies. Like, we didn't get to see any David Duke this week. Again, the most unfortunately named player in the NBA. Um, but I like what I saw from Kessler Edwards a lot. I liked what I see from Cam Thomas a lot. I liked what I saw from Daron Sharp. Like, I feel like, Dylan, they had a really good draft last year, and it's bearing fruit, I think, a lot faster than they would have expected. Yeah, you know, I remember looking at the mock drafts and I remember seeing Cam Thomas's name there and there was just something about him. Like I never even watched him. I just saw his name. He's an LSU guard. I'm like, he's probably going to be good. And especially lately, we've had a lot of late first, early second round guards. It seems like that just, that just hit instantly. It's almost become, like I, I was going to say a market inefficiency, but maybe it's an efficiency that these late first, early second guys have just been really productive lately. And he's kind of that next guy. And he's a lot bigger than I originally anticipated, but he's smooth as hell, man. I, I have enjoyed watching him all year. There was even a game we watched. The Nets played like an overtime game against one of our teams a few weeks ago. Forget who it was. And he hit like he they gave him like the last shot. And I think he made it or almost made it or something like he's a guy that they go to for scoring. And he's been really good for them. And and sharp. I like a lot, too. I mean, he's I guess he's more of maybe like the pick and roll type that that Harden could play with, even though they kind of as you mentioned, they just mix these centers up so much. But he's kind of like one of those energy explosive guys that's been good for them and. Kessler Edwards, yeah, we've seen it a lot lately. It's just just solid all around. I mean, he's he's been a good good option they go to for uh, for a little bit of scoring, and they may not get it all the time, but he has games where he's really effective. So it's been huge for them to have have these guys step up with with Blake Griffin's problems, and you know Bruce Brown kind of gets thrown back and forth whether he's used or not. Like they just have a lot more options now. And obviously with KD being out too, they have a lot more options. And, you know, the Kyrie situation has almost helped like the Cam Thomases where they originally may not play much, but with all this extra opportunity, they've been able to get in there and take advantage of it. So again, they're not going to be guys you want to rely on at the end of games, but to get you close to the end of the game, you know, those guys have been pretty good. I think Kessler Edwards is going to be starting and finishing games. I think that dude, they, I don't even remember they drafted him. I think he, they got picked in the forties. Let me see. It was the 44th pick. They found a suitable three and D wing at the 44th pick, (laughs) which goes to show how smart NBA GMs are, where they just let these guys fall through the cracks every single time. They're like, huh? If only we could have a guy who can play defense and make threes. At who's like six nine? Well, too bad. I guess we're out of luck. And I don't think Kessler Edwards is six nine. I'm gonna check, go back to his page, see how six. tall he actually is. He's six eight, which I was close. I mean, those guys don't grow on trees yet. They somehow get selected in the second round every single time. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they found their guy, and he's averaging twenty seven minutes a game. He's only played seventeen games, but he's a rookie averaging twenty seven minutes a game. That's like insane (laughs) 
just to come in and just start playing as much as he has. And he's not going to stop playing that many minutes. I don't think like even when they get their guys back, I mean, you could see them rolling out a lineup of Harden, you know, Mills, Edwards, Durant, and insert five here as their closing lineup. I mean, or hell, you play Durant at the five, Edwards at the four. I think there's a lot of different ways they can go. But I I don't know if we could talk about this team's like championship ceiling just based on Katie's injury and the Kyrie situation. I don't think we can know. Like, I think they've kind of removed themselves from the conversation for now just because there's too many balls up in the air. And I mean, Dylan, do you disagree with that sentiment? Do you feel like we can properly discuss what their odds are in April, May, and June? We definitely can't, but I want to say that I don't really trust any team in the East, maybe outside of Milwaukee. Like, I feel like there's there's something to pick at with every team in the East that's in contention of sorts. I think if if Philly made a Ben Simmons trade, I think they would probably all of a sudden be a lot more trustworthy as far as making a run. But they have problems like the Bulls are solid, but in a playoff setting, could you expose their defense a little bit? Could you expose Vucevic? You know, Miami is like an injury away from this all crumbling down. So I, I just don't really trust any team outside of Milwaukee right now in the East. So I'm not really willing to discuss anyone's odds because it's it's just a it's a long season and injuries matter and there's just a lot of like these teams are new, you know, like we know Brooklyn for the most part, we know Milwaukee, Miami has changed a bit. Obviously Chicago has changed a lot since last season. We haven't seen them in a playoff setting at all pretty much for years. And then Philly has mostly crumbled in the playoffs, but that was with Ben Simmons in the fold. So maybe if they make a change there, that changes. I don't know. There's just a lot of, kind of you can find an issue with every single one of these contenders so it's not really worth discussing at all for me right now fair enough um any last brooklyn thoughts before we move on to our one of the least favorite teams in the league right now between the two of us <laughs> but let's just rip the band-aid off man all right the oklahoma city thunder they're currently 14 and 33 good for 14th in the western conference they are Fourth in Tankathon odds right now. They have a 48% chance of getting in the top four, 12.5% chance of getting the first pick. I'm going to start doing that with our teams that are clearly in the lottery right now, which to be fair, there's only four. But as the season goes along, and especially two weeks from now, there will be more teams solidly trying to get the top pick. And so the Thunders last week, um, <laughs> as to his to be expected, not good. They're currently on a six-game losing streak. Last Wednesday, they lost to the Spurs, one eighteen to ninety-six. They lost to the Hornets, one twenty-one to ninety-eight. They lost to the Cavs, ninety-four to eighty-seven, and then they lost to the Bulls, one eleven to one ten. Um, Dylan, <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's not a lot to say about this team, but let's talk about Shea. This dude's magical, and it sucks that he's stuck on this team. But if they can get like a shot creator in the next draft, I feel like he's in a lot better spot because he's the only guy who can do anything on this team right now. And it's kind of depressing. 
Yeah, it's tough, man. Like we've enjoyed watching this team the past year or so just because of all the young pieces and there are some interesting guys, but now it's just, uh, there's just, <laughs> it's, it's just black. Like I don't even know what else to say. It's, it's just a lot of crap. I mean, Lou Dort being the second most reliable player on this team is basically all you need to know. And I love Lou Dort. We both love Lou Dort. This is a, a Lou Dort, a pro Lou Dort podcast. But if he's putting, if he's putting up shots in crunch time for you, you're probably screwed. You know, it, it's just, they rely on him a lot. And, and Hey, it's working out because Sam Presti is a loser. He loves losing and he has built a team that loses. So he's fulfilling his dream of that and everything's going to plan, but you know, Josh Giddy still an unbelievable passer and an unbelievably bad shot creator, which becomes more and more apparent as the season goes on. And, you know, Shea has to save the day a lot as he did against the bulls, which, you know, we were talking about that pre pod. Okay. Losing to the bulls by one sounds great on the surface, but let's be honest. They were beat by Vucevic and Io. Okay. Like Levine wasn't that great in this game. He was still very good, you know, compared to most players, but he was six of 19. Vucevic and Io were basically the only good, good players on this team. Javante Green had a very nice dunk. Just wanted to throw that out there. Love me some Javante Green. But this team is just a disaster. And, you know, part of me thinks, and this is a, this is a sneaky little presty. Thing that that we've never talked about do you think he is intentionally playing small centers to just give up a bunch of points because if you look back to last year okay so they did play Moses Brown at the end of the season which uh he got a bunch of rebounds and a bunch of points down low but other than that it was Isaiah Roby who is not really a natural center just based on size and this year, it's pretty much been Robinson Earl, who is definitely a power forward playing center. And he's fine. Like, I'm not, he's not doing a terrible job at it, but he's still pretty small for that position. And part of me thinks, you know, as Vucevic in this game scored 26 points and had 15 rebounds and three blocks, you know, this, this was kind of a game where it shows how easily teams can expose that small center lineup. And part of me feels like it's intentional by Presti to to run something like this. That is a fascinating theory. <laughs> um, well, when you go from Stephen Adams to you know, like you said, that collection of that motley crew of small centers, it certainly makes a difference. But I, first of all, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think, is a center. Just he's like a small ball change of pace five. Cause he's a pretty good shooter. Um, like if you were to have like a rim runner and you wanted something different off your bench, like if you had Daniel Gafford starting and you wanted Jeremiah Robinson Earl as the backup, I think that would work. That would be like his ideal situation. I can't say I disagree with your point though. Although I would expand it from like small bigs to rookie bigs. Yeah. Who are the worst defensive players in the league? It is rookie fives who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And yeah, like, why didn't you trade up for James Wiseman? Which, fair. <laughs> like, 
that would have been the way to go about being bad on defense. But James Wiseman has been hurt the majority of his NBA career. I think that it's tough. <laughs> and because I think what you're saying is if they had like a little bit of a defensive set, better of a defensive center, they'd probably be winning more of these games. Is that what you're saying in essence? Essentially, yeah, because it's just like an easy way for other teams to expose their like their lack of scoring chops becomes impossible to overcome when they're giving up a bunch of points down low. What if I told you, Dylan, they had the eighth best defense of the rim this year? <sighs> that would surprise me. I mean, I, I again, I do like Robinson Earl a lot. Like he plays well for his size i think rim defense is sometimes not completely like it doesn't always translate to like how should i say this like you can block a lot of shots and still be a bad defense like we've talked about this with miles turner if miles turner is your is your lone five you're gonna give up points you are he's gonna block four shots a game and that's gonna look great but you're going to give up shots like we've I've watched Miles Turner his whole career and that's what it was like you can be a good shot blocker and you can protect the rim well i don't think i don't think that is the best way to gauge whether a team is actually like whether a center i should say is actually good because there's a lot of things that goes into center defense it's pick and roll coverage it's just what's the is it dissuading? Is that the word? Like, dis- people like trying going to get to the rim. Yeah. Like there's a lot that goes into to that. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the stats are on that are good too, but and they actually this is, are. <laughs> okay. This is, this is a, a very uh, young theory. So it, it takes some work, but I don't know. It's, it's just that. <sighs> And maybe this is coming over from last season too, where it just feels like they're going small at center. And maybe that's like a something they've baked in. Like they know they're going to give up more points, but the spacing that Robinson Earl provides or whatever is worth giving it up. So I don't know. It's it's something maybe I'll track the rest of the season because if you're trying to lose, you can throw a, a guy that's a little bit undersized out there and just see what happens. But I don't know. It's an inch. I, I have to say it's a very smart theory by you. And also they're getting killed. I think where you see it pop up the most, their lack of size, they're getting killed in floater range right now. They're allowing the fourth worst percentage from floater range. And they're in the bottom six for corner threes allowed, which if you have a bad rim protector, that those areas are going to get exposed a lot. <laughs> so I think that's an interesting thing to look at. Um, that's, I think, why the Thunder is so fascinating to me come draft time, because they have guys, right? They have Shea. They have Giddy, who's going to be... Um, it's, Giddy's an interesting player. Caleb and I talked about... I don't know if you listened to that, Dylan, but Caleb and I did a pod this week, and we talked about All-Stars. We also talked about the draft a little bit. And this draft is littered with, like, big guys, right? Like, Jabari Smith is 6'10". Paolo Bancaro is 6'10". Chet is seven i think seven two seven one some like he's really tall 
And all three of those are big guys, which is their biggest hole right now. Like, if they drafted Chet, <laughs> Chet is a big man with guard skills. You know, Paolo's a big man with guard skills. It'll be interesting to see, like, if they can actually protect the rim at the next level, if Paolo even plays the Paolo and Jamari even play the five. But I think that's going to be something to watch for if they get a top three pick this year, which just based on the lottery odds, it would be practically impossible for them to fall out of the top three. <laughs> just based on the way the lottery works and how, like, it feels it goes every year. Like, it feels like they're due for a top three pick. Unless the Cavs, you know, somehow magically get another <laughs> top three pick. It feels like that happens every year. <laughs> but it just feels like they're going to get a top three pick. And they need another shot creator. I brought this up to you before the show. But I'd say that's their, like, center you can find, right? Like, there's centers are a dime a dozen. Daniel Gafford fucked around and became a starting center by being traded last year. They need another shot creator in the worst way just to relieve some pressure off of shade. They have, like, if the net situation is bad, the Thunder don't have a Patty Mills. <laughs> the Thunder don't have a LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, LaMarcus would be great in Oklahoma City right now. He'd be averaging 20 points a game there. <laughs> just as a release valve for Shea. They don't have anybody to do anything outside of Shea. Lou is averaging 16 points a game, but it's a tanking team 16 points a game. And I, I just feel like... This team is uninspiring, and I want to be inspired. Like, the process Sixers, right? I keep bringing them up. The tanking for picks wasn't the only smart thing they did. They developed really well, like, undrafted guys, right? Like, they hit the undrafted free agent market hard. Rashawn Holmes wasn't drafted. TJ McConnell wasn't drafted. You know, Robert Covington wasn't drafted. Those three guys are still rotation players in the league today. It's been seven years, seven, eight seasons since they were on the process Sixers. Like, those guys are still in the league, and that's what the Thunder should be doing. And that's what they're not doing. And I I wish they were doing that. I wish they were just taking more shots on undrafted guys. I like what they're doing with Aaron Wiggins. Aaron Wiggins is a player. But, like, Poku's, eh, Maladon's, eh, <laughs> Roby's, eh, and coincidentally, all three of those guys are in the G League right now. Like, I feel like there's a way to do this, and there's a way not to do this. And we haven't seen Presti with a full-on tank since, you know, the late 2000s. So, who knows? He might be trying things differently this time. But I I feel like Dylan, they only hit on four guys the first time. They traded Jeff Green for a fifth starter. And then they sucked at developing talent the rest of the way. Maybe they're just not that good at developing guys. Maybe that's it. I mean, I, I Steven just, Adams. I, I'll, I'll give them Steven Adams. Yeah, the the prize possession from the Harden trade, him and Jeremy Lamb, of course. Um, so I, I just can't help. And this is like this was obviously not a possibility unless they traded up. I just can't help but watch this team and think, man, if they had Evan Mobley, like if they got lucky and got Evan Mobley, they honestly might be 10 wins better. And, like, I don't think that's even crazy to say because look at what he's done for the Cavs. I mean, he and, and the Cavs in general are further along than the Thunder. But just imagine Shea and Evan Mobley. That alone, you're set for 10 years. Like, you you can throw in – obviously, you're going to need a third guy if you really want to contend. But just those two alone, 
plus, you know, Lou Dort and change, you're going to be a competitive team, at least for the playoffs. And they got Josh Giddy, who is going to be good. But as you said, they need another pass or another shot creator. And I mean, they're going to get a chance. Like they're going to get a chance in the draft. And the little bit I've seen of Paolo, I feel like he would be a good fit. He just, to me, and again, I've barely watched him. He just seems like he's going to be an easy, like 20 point scorer in the league. Um, So I feel like wherever he ends up, he's going to be good. Jabari Smith, I haven't watched yet. I tried to watch the other day or last weekend, I think, but he was in foul trouble or something. Auburn, by the way, Auburn's got a good team. They have this massive center with like a huge catch radius that I think I looked, I was looking at Tankathon yesterday and I think he's actually projected to be a, uh, a late first. So, so Auburn is a good college team to watch if you want to do some scouting, but they're going to end up with someone that's hopefully going to be really good and fulfills a role because like, man, I was thinking this last night while watching them, but I'm like a year away from, from free Shea territory because this dude is way too good. And he's only 23. Like he's going to turn 24 in the summer, but man, he is, is way too good to be on a team that sucks like this, you know, like he's way too good to be on a team. That's just very clearly tanking. And I I just really want to see him with at least one other guy that's kind of close to his level. And hopefully they get in that draft. I don't think they're getting in free agency. I don't think Harden's coming back home. But they really need to start getting to work on this team because it's it's just going to end up being two really, really bad seasons in a row. And that's by design, obviously. But you've got to come out on the other end with something better than this. And, I mean, hey, the Sixers took their time and it ended up working out pretty well. Probably not as well as they hoped, but if the Sixer or if the Thunder can get to that level where they have like Embiid, Simmons, two type of guys like that to lead them forward, then they're going to be in a good spot. But right now, I feel like patience is running a little bit thin, at least for me personally. The fans, I'm assuming it's probably the same thing. Like, understandably so. Like, it feels like Giddy, the warts are starting to show. Like, he had a great start to the season. Like, he was phenomenal at the beginning of the season, but he just – he can't do anything. Like, until he fixes his jumper, he's just not going to be anything in the league. There, there's just no two ways about it. Um, Baisley stagnated in a major way. Wiggins is a win, but Wiggins is a 23-year-old rookie. <laughs> you know? Trey man, very raw. There's something there. He's shooting 36% on threes, which is great. He's, like, the only other guy on this team who can create something. I, Ty Jerome should, probably shouldn't be sitting over, like, they should be playing Maladon, right? Like, you, Maladon was, I'd say, a relative success last year. And I just, I want to see more. I want to see more from Roby. I want to see more from Poku, right? Like, obviously, those guys were the tank command, those three in particular were the tank commanders of one of the worst units in the history of the NBA. But the reason you play them is to see if they're any good. Right? Poku was the 17th pick in 2020. You need to see if you have something in him. Otherwise, you need to, like, okay, it's time to cut this guy. He's not going to get traded if it doesn't work. <laughs> Poku's going back to Europe if this doesn't work. That's, there's just no two ways about it. 
I want to see if they have something in Roby. I want to see, like, and plus, this team needs athleticism. They're very unathletic. <laughs> Shea's the best athlete on the team. Robinson Earl's fine athlete, but not really. Wiggins, fine athlete, but not really. I mean, no one's jumping out of the gym. And usually that helps make, like, taking teams more fun. They don't have a guy who's going to, like, who's like a pogo stick. Like, they don't have their version of Derrick Jones Jr. on the team, right? Like, the thing that about rebuilding that it affords you, it just lets you take chance on really athletic guys and see, okay, do you have anything that we can use? And we can maybe try to mold. The Thunder don't do that. And I wish they did because there's a lot of opportunity for them to just say, hey, jump out of the gym, give us a few dunks. If you can play defense, you can stay on this team. Like, they're, they're doing that, and I kind of wish they were. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely I, – I think that's part of the reason why it's a little bit tough to watch them. And, I mean, basically falling out – this is a guy I've talked about a lot on this pod. He's He shows flashes of just being so good, man. Like, his, his isolation scoring – has really shown flashes. He's a guy that can jump out of the gym and he's just like, not as good. Like he's just not consistent. And maybe it's the team like this. I feel like it would be hard to shine on a team like this, where there's basically no superstars. It's just a bunch of guys trying to become good at the same time. I feel like it's hard to grow in that environment. Like, we were just talking about the Nets, young players. I feel like that's a really good environment where you're not forced to do anything crazy. You're going to shoot five, six shots a game at most. You're going to have to play hard defense. You're going to have to set screens, cut, make good passes. And you're going to grow into a role that fits your game. And on a team like this where it's just Shea and a bunch of, you know, kindergartners in NBA terms – that all these kindergartners are trying to learn how to how to use scissors and color in the lines at the same time. And it's just chaotic. It's just a disaster. I mean, Shay, like, you know, teachers are very underpaid. Shay is is not getting a lot of money uh, as the kindergarten teacher on this team. And he's just having to to clean up all the messes and all these kids are just out of control. And it's just an environment that's I feel like it's hard to foster kind of growth and it's, it's just weird because like there are some benefits, I think, to being a young team trying to learn how to win together. But really what it comes down to is it's going to be Shea and it's going to be Kenrich Williams just getting buckets at the end of the game. And everyone else just kind of stands around and figures out what they can do. And it's, it feel, I just feel like it's hard to grow in that environment. And like, I, I think about this with teams like the Lakers, where I'm like, if you put a, a lot of these guys, if you put them on the Lakers, right, put them with LeBron, Russ, AD, just have them fill in, man. Like, basically, could easily become Kyle Kuzma in the right environment or even better. Lou Dort could be one of the best role players in the league if he was on a team like that. And that's because you have bona fide stars that know what they're doing and you're just fulfilling a small role. But on a team like this, it's guys maybe outplaying their actual talents and their limits. And sometimes I feel like that can kind of corrupt their development a little bit. So 
I don't know. That That's another reason I think this team just needs to start getting old quick because if you have a bunch of young guys that just aren't doing the right things, they're not growing in the right ways, then they're not going to – like their development's going to be stunted. Like who's the K.J. Martin on this team? Like K.J. Martin is one of the most fun players in the league right now. All that dude does is just try to dunk on five people at once, right? You're the Thunder. You can take a chance on guys like that. I, I don't know. It's frustrating. We spent way too much time on the Thunder. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the Sixers. <laughs> I, I, I'm cutting the Thunder segment short because we don't need to spend – it's bad for our health. The Sixers are 28-19, good for a six in the Western Conference. Their last week, they beat the Magic 123-110 in a game where Embiid had 50 points in 27 minutes. <laughs> we're, well, I think this majority of the segment will be about Embiid. Um, they lost to the Clippers 102 to 101. They beat the Spurs 115 to 109. And then they beat the Pelicans 117 to 103. And Dylan, <laughs> and B's just on a tear of like historical proportions right now. I saw something like he had 12 straight road games with 30 point games. I think that was a graphic of one of the, I think it was a graphic in the Pelicans game where he just has been dominating for the last month. And it's really a shame, like, this team isn't better because I feel like he's like, – is, is it crazy to say he's in his absolute prime right now? I mean, all you have to do is look at the game logs, man. Like, 42, 38, 40, 50. That, like, that's just the past four games. Then it's a bunch of 32, 31, you know, 34, 36. Like, there's – there's barely any 20-point games in there. Like, he is just unstoppable. And I talk about this a lot with players finding their shot. And Embiid has very clearly figured out what works for him. If he's not getting to the rim, he's pulling up from, like, 10 to 12 feet out and just draining it in everyone's face. His handle is pretty damn good. I mean, there was a play in that New Orleans game where he just took it basically the entire way up the court. Like, he probably took it maybe 60, 70 feet on his own. Like, he's crossing guys up. I think he ended up getting fouled going to the rim. He's just a freight train of a player, and he's also agile enough where he can do a little bit of a Euro step and get around you without just bulldozing you over and getting a charge. Like, he's just figured out how to perfectly balance his body and his size and use that in a way where he's just an unstoppable scorer. And obviously this leads to a ton of free throws too. I mean, in this New Orleans game, he was 18 of 20 from the line. Like, good luck stopping that. 18 of 20 from the line, it's really hard to win a game like that. So he's just been crazy to watch. And obviously this, the gravity he has has been helping a lot of these other players too. You know, like there's a lot more space for Tobias Harris to try to figure things out. Tyrese Maxey's getting a lot of open looks. Cork Moss, who's never afraid to pull a three, he's getting open looks. I mean, there's just a ton of space that he's carving out because you either double team him or you get scored on. Like there's just no other way around it. And it's been really fun for him to watch. And that's why I'll slam the table till my hand breaks you trade Ben Simmons right now, get players for this team. If you're going to waste this Embiid season where he very well could win the MVP because you want to get 
a couple of what second round picks extra than what you're getting now or some bench player or something like make a trade that's going to make your team better now we just talked about the nets the east is fairly open right now i still think the bucks are going to be really hard to get through every other team has issues you have an unstoppable post presence you have some good young players you have some talented players there get simmons out of there get two or three players that can help you right now even if they're not on the same level as Simmons, or if there is someone out there that you can get, get somebody that can help this team. Because, I mean, we talked about this same thing last year in the playoffs when they played the Hawks. Embiid was just exhausted at the end because he had to do everything. It was Embiid and Seth Curry. Like, are you kidding me? Seth Curry had to step up, and he was great. If Seth Curry has to be the one to step up to save this team – they're screwed for this year too, because basically nothing has changed. So except Embiid's gotten better. So they've got to make a move because if they're just going to waste this Embiid season, I mean, that's major malpractice on the part of Daryl Morey. I mean, nobody's handled this situation. Great. I mean, Ben hasn't handled it. Great. Daryl hasn't handled it. Great. Like, I don't know why we just can't call a spade a spade and say it. Nobody looks good in this Ben Darrell situation. However, I'm committed to not talking about it. I will say the reason you trade Ben Simmons right now for a guy who's not as good is because Joel's killing it right now with a roster spot missing, right? A major roster spot, a major salary. If you fill that spot with not just one guy, but two guys, like let's just say you get Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, right? Those two guys plus Curry plus Harris that's like a really good team <laughs> and the defense I have to admit would take a major step back, but that's why you bring buddy off the bench or something like that. Like buddy's been really good off the bench really his whole career. And I'm sure he would do it for doc. I <laughs> Joel is just incredible right now. And you brought up that like little 10 foot fadeaway he has That's nothing but cash right now. The last 10, his last 20 games, it's averaging 33 points a game, 11 rebounds, four assists. His passing has gotten really good, by the way. Like, that's been always the knock on Joel and why people have said he's worse than Jokic. I still have him lower than Jokic on my top 100. I read it in my top 100. But it's a lot closer now <laughs> than it was before. Like, Joel's been incredible this year, just in every facet of the game. And it's masked the fact that his team sucks. If this team did not have Joel Embiid on it, they're probably winning 25 games at best. Like Tobias Harris, uh, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, <laughs> and Danny Green. I feel like I haven't seen Danny Green at all this year. I, I Is he, like, even still in the league? Like, when was the last time Danny Green played? <laughs> like, let's see, how many games, how many games would you want to guess Danny Green's played this year? Probably less than 15, I'd say. It's actually 29. Oh. Shooting 38%. <laughs> Death taxes and Danny Green shooting 38% from three. That's always going to happen. But, like, I don't know. Danny Green's 35 years old. Um, <laughs> this team is so intrinsically flawed, yet Joel is carrying them to a 45-win pace. And if this team wins 45 games, 
I think it's him and Jokic for a top two in MVP right now. And I don't really think it's close. And I think those two guys are carrying their teams. And honestly, okay, I wanted to make this comparison. I think everyone loses sight of why Russell Westbrook lost 2017, or not lost, why he won the 2017 MVP. He didn't win the 2017 MVP because of the triple doubles. That team massively outperformed expectations. That team wasn't good. And yeah, Victor Oladipo became an all-NBA player the next season in Indiana. He said himself, he doesn't become all-NBA player without watching Russ work every single day. You know he said that. You know Vic said that. And Sabonis, Sabonis wasn't this guy in Oklahoma City, and he never would have been this guy in Oklahoma City. Let's make those things very clear. I mean, that 2017 Thunder team just wasn't good, (laughs) right? Like, we both know this. And Russ carried them across the finish line. And I think this Sixers team is probably better than that Thunder team. But not by much. You know, and I think Joel is kind of doing the same thing for this team that Russ did for that team. And if you look at it, right, like the Pelicans on the Pelicans on Tuesday night, I think they played on Tuesday night, were missing four of their five starters. And you could have just said, oh, well, the Sixers should have won by, you know, 20. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They won because they had Joel, right? And that happened a lot that year with Russ, too. And I think that Russ doesn't get enough credit. Like, that's why Russ won the MVP that year. And I think that's both Jokic's and Embiid's case this year is just like, okay, they're winning a lot of games they wouldn't otherwise win just because they have this guy. And I think, like, we saw it with Harden that year, too. Harden carried the Rockets to a way better record than they should have had, too. And I just feel like for us, for centers, centers, plural, to be doing this, it's remarkable. Yeah, this is a perfect transition for what I wanted to talk about because, like, let's this kind of, I don't know if you want to say revolution, but this change in basketball that the Warriors have kind of enacted with more, more spacing, you know, more pace, more shooting has for a period of time, it kind of killed the center position and it, or maybe not killed it, but it really changed it. The age of a Dwight Howard winning being the, the leader of a finals team is dead now. And now we're transitioning to a new age of center where, I mean, like we just were the two guys we're talking about Embiid and Jokic obviously have had a lot of success they haven't made the finals run yet. Maybe we'll see that this season. But then, again, going back to Evan Mobley. Like, Evan Mobley is basically – I'm not going to say the sole reason that the Cavs are the third seed in the East, but if he's not there, they're maybe the eighth or ninth seed. You know, like he's had a huge impact right off the bat. And I guess, you know, outside of those guys, there's not a ton of other good examples of – of big men changing the game. But I think over the next few years, we're going to start to see more where the Curry age basketball players that maybe started watching, you know, when they're in eighth grade or in high school, we're starting to see those guys hit the league now where they know, Hey, I'm seven foot, but I've got to have a lot of, a, a lot of a different type of skill set that, my dad would have had or my older brother, you know, and we're starting to see that hit the league now. And again, going back to Chet and 
listen, I have no idea whether I like Chet or not. There's a lot of things about him I'm skeptical of, but the style of player he is, whether he works out or not, that style of player is going to start to become a lot more populated in the league where you have these massive guys that are impactful on both ends of the floor and they have more guard skill sets than older centers have. And I think we're really starting to see that. It's starting to slowly kind of hit the league where the big men are all of a sudden taking some of the power back and they're proving that they can be, you know, the offensive hub of a really, really good team. And, you know, this this year's a great example. Embiid and Jokic are almost in the same situation where basically their partner in crime is not there and they have to carry a huge load and they have to make everyone around them better while also being dominant and better than they ever have at the same time. And both of those guys are, are really showing out. And yeah, I think when we get to the MVP discussion at the end of the year, maybe, you know, those teams are going to be like the fifth or fourth seed, which traditionally those guys get overlooked for MVP. But this year, if you just look at it and say, man, this is most valuable player. If we take this player off this team or just compare him to basically any average player at their position and put that player in their position, the team is 15, 20 games worse. You know, like they're, they're having a huge impact. And for this season, it's going to be fun to see if those guys battle each other for MVP because the Embiid and Jokic discussion has been going on for years now. And it's kind of fun to see Embiid kind of pull himself back into the picture because it seemed like Jokic took a nice lead. Now Embiid's pulling back into the picture. And I don't know, like I wouldn't be shocked if this season I look at the end of the season, I look back and say, yeah, like Embiid was, was probably better than Jokic. And will he be moving forward? Who knows? But so far it's been amazing to watch. And I mean, (laughs) Jokic, they do it in such different ways, but it's like everyone's like, oh, he's a seven-foot guard. Embiid kind of plays like a seven-foot Kobe, right? And what do I mean by Like, he's a lot slower, right? But he's still so smooth. He can get to that jumper whenever he wants. He has, like, his post ability now is just, like, his post awareness, his post, you know, the passing out of it, the, you know the fadeaway, the jump hook. He can get whatever he wants, whatever. And I think he just has, he's mastered it, right? (laughs) Which is what's supposed to happen at this age. This is his prime. And I think, like you brought up the gravity. Seth Curry's really good. He's not this good anywhere else. Tobias Harris does not look this good anywhere else. And if he's gone after the deadline, his stock is going to take a major dip. I don't know if you noticed this, Dylan, because we spent the whole time talking about Embiid and not, not about the rest of the Sixers. The rest of the team kind of looks invisible next to Joel. Like, it doesn't seem like it's a team. It seems like Joel and the Joel X, right? Where it's Joel's the center of gravity and everyone else is just like, okay, Maxi, you get a couple of shots here. Curry, you get a couple of shots here. And it works, right? They've won, you know, however many games. But 
it still just feels like he needs another shot creator, someone who can get, create like a who can take two dribbles and pull up. And they don't have that guy, right? Like they don't have like Bradley Beal would be perfect for this team. You know, Jimmy Butler <laughs> was perfect for this team, and then they picked Tobias Harris over him. Like Daryl's suffering. I I have to say, Daryl's suffering a lot for the mistakes of his predecessors. One of which is still working for the team in Elton Brand. But I still think that there's a lot of work to be done in this roster before we can consider them championship material. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of work to be done. Like going back to this Pelicans game, Tobias Harris, 13 of 19 for 33 points. You're not getting that every night. I can tell you that. And if you take that away, if you just reduce him back to like a of whatever 18 point a game type of night, they lose. And there was basically no one else on this team that did anything. Like Tyrese Maxey was okay. Korkmaz was okay. Like there was pretty much no one else doing anything. There's like a lot of Isaiah Joe. There's a lot of George Niang. And any roster that has Andre Drummond has got to be scared that something's going to go terribly wrong on either end of the floor. So there's there's a lot of variance for this team. And, you know, Embiid is, is doing a ton right now. But, yeah, that second guy is something that they desperately need. Like, it's, it's kind of how I looked at the Lakers a couple years ago when they needed a third guy and they were able to figure it out, but it's a lot easier to figure things out when you have two all NBA type of guys, when it's just one, it's a lot tougher. And that's again, why I think they need really need to make a move with Simmons because like, what is MB going to do at the end of the season? If he wins MVP or is close, but they're like a first round X in the playoffs because they had no other options. Is he going to want to stay in Philly? Like, I know he loves Philly there, but Dame loves Portland, and he wants to get out too for for not being able to win there, you know? And, like, just imagine you're Embiid and you average 30 points and you're MVP or an MVP candidate. And the same thing happens. It always happens where, at best, you make it to the second round. And he's got to sit there and be like, damn, like, they just don't want to win. They don't want to help me. And it's understandable why he would feel that way because they had a great asset sitting on their hands that they tried to extract as much juice as possible. But guess what? The juice went spoiled because it just sat there. I don't even know if juice spoils, but we're going to say it does. So it's, you know, I, I know you don't want to talk about Simmons and I get that, but I will always talk about Simmons as long as he's on the team. Get rid of him. Get somebody. And, you know, make a run. And the thing about Simmons is that he's their biggest salary by far. Or not by far. Tobias is their biggest salary by far, which is a A whole other problem in itself right there. Yes. But outside of Tobias, who I'm guessing a whole lot of teams don't want, is you have... Danny Green making 10 and then everyone else is making below $10 million on this roster. That's not it. Again, that's Colangelo's fault. That's, you know, not Hinky's fault. Cause Hinky wasn't around. That's Colangelo's fault. Not Maury's fault, but 
and Elden Brand's fault, not Maury's fault. But Maury's still got to dig himself out of the situation. It'll be interesting to see how he does so. I wish we saw more Tybal this week. That's the only other thing I have. I wish Tybal's so much fun to watch on defense, and it's a shame we didn't get to really see him. But he's still probably going to make the all-defense team because he's not good. Um, <laughs> Dylan, I think that's everything for this week. Um, make sure you check out the Power Hour I did earlier this week with Caleb Lynn. That was a blast. I brought it up earlier. But if you want to hear some breakdown of the top draft prospects and a breakdown on Shaden Sharp, and also an interesting discussion on name, image, and likeness and how it'll affect the NBA draft. That was a discussion we got to, and I really wanted to talk to him about because it's a fascinating discussion. And then make sure you check out um, Circle City Cinema. Zach and Bryce are still doing Book of Boba Fett. And make sure you check out Linsanity. Zach joined Caleb and Bryce on the um, Linsanity. He's talking about the crazy week of football. Dylan, this is a great episode. I want to thank you once again for joining me. Thank you.